0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Aisha Torah here in the Holy City of Yerushalayim. This is the Practical Spirituality Series. And uh, let's do it. Today's class is titled, Our Father in Heaven. Which is, uh, I know it sounds like really not Jewish, that title. But, but we say it all the time, Avinu Shabbat right? Avinu 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 So it's part of Judaism is to call God Avinu our Father in Heaven. And this whole term Father is, is used a lot in Judaism and it's, uh, it needs accessing, it needs a connection. Like, what's this all about? Uh, first of all, when we pray for Torah study, we say Avinu Avrahamim uh, our Father, the f- merciful Father. Rachim have mercy on us. <laughs> Why? Why are we asking for so much mercy? That we should be able to learn Torah with love. I guess learning Torah is hard to love, I don't know. But we make this huge, like, plea for compassion from our Father that we should learn Torah, Be'ahavah, with love. That's another question, I don't know if we'll handle that today. Oh, by the way, Anyone want a bracelet that says, Thank you, Hashem? Perfect. I'll give it to my kids. So, the... relationship with our parents is very complicated and the, the father figure is what I'd like to focus on right now, is our relationship with our fathers. It's a bit of a strange relationship and it's a, a complex relationship. And I, the truth is I'm not even like, I'd, I'd rather defer to a psychologist <laughs> to handle it rather than me handle it. But but it, it is a, it's, it's a deep conversation, um, i think a lot of the a lot of us perhaps even calling god our father is brings up a lot for us like it brings up a lot and it could even bring up a little bit of a distrust because of the times where we wanted our father to anchor us in our lives like we wanted that backbone we wanted that we wanted to be held we wanted to be we want to be supported. We want to feel secure. And that's what fathers do. And fathers point north. Fathers point to which direction to get out of the, the maze of life. Like the, the father is, the, is that direction. You'll see little kids in a totally foreign environment are having the time of their lives. Whereas put you in a foreign environment, you, you want to get your bearings. Like let me pull out my Google Maps. Let me, let me find out where I am. Show me a map that says you are here. But little kids, without a clue of the environment, as long as daddy's there, they're good. They're good. And you'll find that people without that father connection to their own father growing up is uh, will often feel lost. They'll, they'll have this kind of lost experience. And, and many will move well into their adult years still lost, if not stay lost, when they're not necessarily lost but they feel lost and if you feel lost you're lost you know it doesn't matter where you are meaning you could be watching someone from like a drone who's like literally on all sides of him is starbucks but he happens to be in i don't know central park or something and he doesn't know exactly where he is and he's starting to panic and he's so far from lost it's ridiculous you know meaning all he has to walk is like a couple hundred yards in any direction and he's at a starbucks in manhattan but the guy's panicked, and and to him he's lost. And many people live their life that way. And then there's a, there's a certain sense of... Uh, there's a certain sense with fathers is uh, adversarial, especially for men. That there's a certain adversarial relationship with fathers, because... Fathers want us to be our best, and and they they will let us know. <laughs> they let you know when they feel you're not where you should be, or you know. They, unless he's an extremely tactful and and uh, kind of disciplined person, he's likely to let you know more than you'd be willing to hear about it of where he where your father feels you're off. And it's very hard for us to recognize that as compassion. But it's total compassion. It's total compassion. How many of us walk by people callously who could use our direction, but because they're strangers? And you can see they're clearly in trouble, whether they be uh, kind of aimless young people, or, or they're, maybe they're on the streets, homeless, who knows what. And they could really use our direction and maybe our uh, attention a little bit. But we'll just walk right by them. And our father's the exact opposite. He's all over us. He's all over us with like a million pieces of advice. He's not walking by callously. He's, he's all over us with instruction and, and prodding and, and uh, advice unsolicited and... And yet we refuse to translate that as compassion. Whereas you stopping to help someone on the street would be a pure form of compassion. Or or seeing someone in a company who, that you work in a higher echelon of a company and you see someone down below who could use some good advice, but you just keep walking by him every day without anything for him. is a lack of compassion. And our fathers give us their advice and suddenly we're like, keep it to yourself, dad. when we put mom and dad together the main thing is is hold me protect me and help me feel safe hold me protect me help me feel safe and of course what are they trying to do they want to be empty nesters they'd like us to kind of move out and uh, you know they're trying to give you some wings they just keep trying to attach those wings and get you independent But for us, they, we want them to hold us and take care of us. And they want us independent. And so you could say it almost selfishly that the father gives all the advice because if the kid doesn't take the advice, he's, he's going to be um, a kind of dependent. You know, you wind up with a 30 old in your house, you know, Nobody wants a thirty-year-old in their house. And that's like, sorry if you have a thirty-year-old. <laughs> I'm sure it was a really good deal with uh, with the universities when um, somewhere between my parents' generation and my generation, suddenly university became like thirteenth grade. I mean, in the old days, you only went to university if you like really had a field that you had chosen to train in it was almost vocational and uh, and then all of a sudden it became 13th grade and you just you just go it's like like you breathe oxygen you go to university and, and but it's almost like a a conspiracy between the parents and the universities like you get our kid out of the house we'll give you money and babysit our kid for the next 4 years and of course kids are like you yeah, know, I won't grow up, I'll never be a... What is, what is that song? Oh, what was that from? Oh, Peter Pan. Uh, was that Peter Pan? Yeah. What do you say? I won't grow up, I'll never be a what? I'll never be a of science, I'll a never parent. be a what? Parrot. Parrot. That's what he says? Uh, I think so. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Can someone Google? Who, which was that? Peter Pan. Can you Google uh, Peter Pan, I Won't Grow Up lyrics? Anyway, the kids are like, to hell with that. We're going to party for four years, meaning we're not going to grow up at all. Not even a little. I mean, you're going to come, we're going to come back after those four years so totally lost and, <laughs> and uh, brain cells lost and, and purity lost and every kind of fall from grace with zero responsibility. Meaning no adulthood took place in those four years. Okay, so now you're 22. Now where are you going? (laughs) So there's this huge trend of moving home. And the parents are like, what? You know, the parents wake up with kids in their house all of a sudden again. You know what that's that's like? That's like marrying off a child and then having them get divorced and wind up back in your house. It's not quite as bad, but it's almost as bad. Yeah, whatever this. God, I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school just to learn to be a parrot and recite a silly rule. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So you got it, You got the parrot part. It was just coming on the third phrase. Yeah. Anyway, but apparently he's the archetype of uh, this. The whole thing of Peter Pan is. He's a person who never grew up. Where does he where does he wind up? Never, never land. Is that Peter Pan? Yeah. Boy, this is like coming back to me now. He, he winds up never, never land. And how many kids are in never, never land? And they just want to be held. And their parents are like, let someone else hold you. And then it's like, well, how about marriage? But marriage isn't possible, how is anyone going to get married? Like, how are you supposed to do that? It, throughout all of world history, your parents marry you off, but somehow parents have, like, somehow gotten out of that responsibility, and that's like a heavy responsibility, so I could see why parents would want not to have to marry off their kids. I mean, <laughs> I could tell you, because I'm right now in that partial in my life, marrying off kids. I mean, Thank God I took care of my first daughter. Do you know what the son in law is called in Yiddish? It would be a little shocked. Anyone know how to say son-in-law in Yiddish? It's not really Yiddish, it's more Hebrew, but Yiddish people use this term. It's called ADIM. You know why it's called ADIM? YITI. My son-in-law's name, he's my ADIM. My son-in-law is ADIM. Anyone know what the word aid means? Witness, good. What do ADIM give? What do witnesses give? Testimony. ADIM means testimony. My son-in-law is called testimony. You know why? He's testimony that I didn't leave my daughter hanging. I didn't throw her to the wolves. I took care of her until I literally handed her off to this amazing guy that she's married to. He's my testimony for the rest of my daughter's life that she was taken care of. Now, I was not raised in that culture. so I'm not preaching at all. I'm raised in a totally different culture where you're thrown to the wolves as I was thrown to the wolves and, and uh, managed only by miracle to get married at 26 here because I was the last guy I would have gotten married. I was actually, I would have been probably into the open relationship thing. You know, like I was, I was a hardcore liberal. If there was BDS at the time, I would have been the chairman. I thought marrying a Jew was racist and I thought marriage was irresponsible because of overpopulation and lack of resources. I mean, I was one of these foaming-at-the-mouth, hardcore, like, liberal, like, radical environmentalists, you know, like, spiking trees that loggers should be scared to put their chainsaws into them. You know, I I never spiked a tree myself, but I was part of a radical environmentalist organization. So it's, it's a miracle I'm married, and the fact that I had all those kids is also a pretty open miracle, too. And, um, and the fact that they're all normal, is especially, especially that, but the, the scary thing about our generation now is in the Haredi community, is that they're more normal. <laughs> meaning, meaning, uh, meaning the Haredi community has done you know such an interesting job of moving with the times that my kids are there's this like new normal. Have you heard about the new normal? It's the new normal. Today, now, Heradian normal means, I don't know how to explain this to you exactly, but I guess just there's a sensibility with things, as opposed to just, I don't know how to say this in English, sheeta, stern, kind of inflexible worldview, uh, kind of, put on everybody and but families don't fit into that (laughs) no family does families are like kind of they're moving organisms families they don't fit into your strict you know definitions and there there's a lot going on in every family and so the new normal is to accept that now you're called normal see the old normal you know what the old normal was the old normal was your family's nuts but you pretend you're normal (laughs) And you, all the nutty kids that you're raising have to, like, somehow hush-hush. You know, they're, like, pulling all your appendages that no one should ever know that you're... You know, because it wouldn't be good for shaduchim or it's not going to be good for marrying off the kids if I have a, one kid who's, in, who's in, you know, a little nuts. When I say nuts, I mean nuts in all the best ways. Creative. You know, perhaps uh, a bit... Uh, uh, how would you call the person who's testing the waters? Like, what do you call that kid who's always testing everybody? He's. What's, uh, I have no words today. By the way, I I, I woke up like foggy, so my vocabulary is not coming. What's the word? Experimental. <laughs> Experimental. That's a nice way, but I'm talking about the ones who like really mess with the structure of things. Like they they like to challenge, challenge it, challengers. Let's push the boundaries. Push the boundaries. Yeah, let let's pull in those appendages because like that won't look good. So. So the anyway, so the new normal, and there's families like this, and we're one of those families. Is the new normal is to actually accept that there's a lot of vari- there's a lot of variation in a family, and there's a lot there's a lot of variation in the human human experience, and and you can be actually a hardcore servant of God and raise children dedicated to God, and still be like out there. You know, meaning not all your kids are going to be out there, but you're going to have some that are out there, and you may be out there a bit. And that's called the new normal. And this is why some very, very big rabbis moved to Israel and and moved to Beit Shemesh, because Beit Shemesh is part of the new normal community. I'm not talking about Beit Shemesh B. They're the old normal. Anyway, do you guys understand the difference between new normal and old normal? Old normal is act normal. The new normal is, it's normal to be unique. That's the new normal in the observant community. But it's, you know what I liked about Baltimore, actually? Baltimore. I was in Baltimore, where he's from. You're from Baltimore? He's from Baltimore. Just give your last names. That's about all you need in Baltimore. (laughs) I I didn't grow up in the Jewish area. Oh, you didn't? No, I grew up in um, Golden Park. Oh, sure. North Baltimore, close to Towson. Okay, well, at least you're alive. Didn't get shot. <laughs> <laughs> Being from Baltimore could be a good thing. Now, anyway, um, Baltimore's kind of quite, you're allowed to be normal there. Okay, that's not our subject, though. let's get back to fathers. Is we want to be held and our parents want us out, like, go conquer the world. Like, go make your own splash and raise your own kids. And and so we call God Father. But what would it take for us to let God hold us? It just seems like, on the one hand, it seems much better. Like, he's he's probably more consistent than our fathers were. But on the other hand, he seems quite... It sounds almost theoretical. Like, that wasn't the kind of holding I was looking for. You know, like, oh, God will hold you. Thanks for uh, nothing. You know, like, God's going to hold me? I was actually, I mean, I, how about all the girls in this room? Like, are you are interested in God holding you? Or are you interested in actually getting married and supported and cared for and safe the rest of your life? You know? Well, I'll take God holding me. I'm going to move to Svot and, like, you know, just meditate all day and let God hold me. I think most most people want to be held by something that's much more physical than God. And that's our challenge, really, with God, is, is to feel held. And let me just express how held you are, because you are extremely held right now. For example, have you noticed that your whole life's being orchestrated for you? Never ever noticed that? Like, how'd you get to this classroom right now? Like, how did all this happen? Like, why is all this being orchestrated around me? And the weird thing is you have free will. Meaning, everyone's being orchestrated around you. I'm sure you've noticed that things are getting orchestrated around you. Like you saw us at the hotel, and now I'm teaching, and it's like somehow we're here again. And, but don't I have free will? How am I getting orchestrated around you? I thought I had free will. But yet I'm getting orchestrated around you as your teacher today. another example of how you got to Israel did any of you choose to come to Israel? yeah any of you chose to come there? yeah you think you did (laughs) think how many variables took think how many variables happened like how many things happened where it was just like you know like everything lined up lined up lined up lined up lined up and then someone put a microphone in front of your face and like a big TV camera and you're like they're like will you go and you're like yes (laughs) and then And then you're like, nothing like the power of free will. (laughs) And meanwhile, God's upstairs just going like, this was like, there was not even one possibility after the way I set things up, the way I orchestrated life around you, that there was anything but you being in Israel right now. That was nice you got to choose, like you at least had the illusion of choice to come here. Sometimes I'm in a weird situation where I'm on my way to something, like a store or something, but like, uh, like Dodo, check your watch, that store's been closed for two hours. But nevertheless, I'm on my way to that store. And I get to the door that's been closed for two hours, and you know, I'm like, oh, how disappointing. And then I turn around and someone's like, I'm looking all over for you, I needed you, I didn't have your phone number, and I've got like one more hour to make this very important decision and you have the info I need. And I'm just like, yeah, of course. I'm being orchestrated around you, and being told somehow in my crazy brain to show up to a store two hours after it closed, only to be that right there for that person. And this is going on all the time. I've, uh, I've had, uh, you know, I've, one amazing example, I'm, I'm mountain biking in the mountains of Santa Barbara, and I do extreme riding, so I'm going really fast down technical stuff, it's a blast of a trail, and I'm just ripping it to smithereens And like, the height of my, you know, best riding skills, which are still there, but I need three days in eroding. <laughs> three days in a row of moderate riding, before the fourth day, and the skills are starting to come back. So, but I, I can't just jump into this kind of riding, but I'm at the peak, and I'm just, sort of like, <clears throat> heading down this trail. I don't know how old I was, in my 20s. And, I mean, the trail flowed pretty good until now. There was a hairpin turn. On am one of the steepest parts. So I've been flying for the last 15 minutes, so I think the trail's going to continue in the same flow most trails do. And then I hit the turn. T- I mean, there wasn't even, I didn't even hit my brakes. It was just Superman, you know, off a cliff. And I'm flying, and then I'm like backwards, and then I'm upside down, and then all, and, you know, I'm just flying down the cliff to the end of my life. I have no real protection. I'm not even in a full-face helmet. I'm just in a little mountain bike helmet. It's the end of my life. And it all happened so fast because I was going so fast. And next thing I know, I just get caught. Some I get caught and like just go like and my buddy who saw this, who's racing down behind me, saw me just disappear off a cliff. He was looking down the cliff, and there I am in a I'm in, this, I'm in this thicket of, of I have no words today of shearings they had serviced the trail this trail like is serviced once a year or something well I lucked out I got the they had serviced that whole section of trail like the last few minutes of trail and they took all the shearings and just chucked them off the cliff and so it was like a lot of shearings, like lots and lots. I mean, you could have five riders fall off this cliff. And they would all land it like that. And I just landed. I landed backwards, meaning somehow I did some flips, and I just landed backwards, like I was going like that in the end, and just went like... I didn't even have a scratch. I am not even a scratch on my body. And I sunk like about five feet into the pillow. And they just, they were fresh. You couldn't see. They, were, they had been cut maybe the day before, and just thrown off this cliff and all just kind of gathered on the other side and landed perfectly on it. It's not the only time that's happened. I've been (laughs) dangling 80 feet over the rocks with a surfboard in my right hand, and I'm just trying to make my way over a little oil uh, pump for the, you know, whatever, California oil thing going on by the coast. And I'm making my way around, because the waves are huge, and I just want to surf. And my friends went down the trail, but I thought I had a shortcut. Well, the shortcut was a long cut. And I finally get to this little spot where I see I can keep going, but I do have to jump to a little pad of dirt. So I jumped to the pad of dirt, and when I land on the pad of dirt, there was nothing under it. It just fell 80 feet into the rocks. I just managed to stick two fingers into the chain link fence. And I'm dangling. I did not let go of my board, by the way. <laughs> Real surfers don't let go of their boards. <laughs> so I held my board. I was gonna drop it if I had to. No, if I had to get back up the fence of my board, I'm not gonna risk my life for my board. And so, and I did manage to like swing my way up to the other side I was supposed to be jumping to and I got back up. But orchestrated over and over again, over and over again. I've flown sports cars off cliffs. I've, I've not purposely, obviously. But uh, I, I've, I flew... Uh, I mean, I know these stories sound fantastic, but I've, I'm like, I've got like nine lives. And I always land on my feet. And the, uh, I flew... Uh, I, I don't know if you've even heard of this car. Maybe they had one in Australia years ago. called the Datsun 280ZX. Oh, yes. Remember the Datsun 280ZX? at had a two-tone, blue and gray, 16 years old. Datsun 286, coolest car. <laughs> you should Google image that Datsun 286. Cool. <laughs> car of the day. Yeah, it was cool. I was a 16 year old spoiled brat, trust baby, you know, and uh, and I flew it off the I flew it off a cliff because I don't know some guy on like Valium pulled out of his driveway and fell asleep, and I was racing up this hill, and I I couldn't get around him. I clipped the back of his car and it sent me off a cliff and I wound up in a living room of a home, and like some mansion at the bottom of the, the bottom of the cliff. You know, it was just this big drop, and I wound up in their living room. And thank God the kids weren't playing in the living. Room, the whole family was sitting at the dining room table, eating dinner. And and a Datsun two eighty X enters their home. My favorite one was when we uh, when we we were. It took us like about two blocks to, of crashing from 70 miles per hour to zero in a giant Oldsmobile station wagon, stolen. And we're, we're crashing into literally everything. It's just fishtailing. Like like we took out an entire block wall and all those blocks went into a swimming pool and destroyed the bottom of the swimming pool. This was an expensive, an expensive crash. Right after that, fire hydrant over the windshield. Like I've actually witnessed fire hydrant straight over the windshield. And then, uh, but eventually we fished on right into a retaining wall. Anyway, after running from the, co- it was, we were not going to wait around. We weren't even 16 years old. I mean, we were, we were kids. So we weren't waiting around for the police and, you know, we just ran. So anyway, I get to my house around four in the morning running through the night. And I, uh, yo, what's up? Are you? Hey. Oh, wow. Need a table for three here. Ah, uh, you know what? Take those two and this one. Maybe let those two sit together, because they're, uh... Okay, it. Yeah, I was just talking about a massive car crash I had, and that, uh, when I was a kid, 15 years old. So we ran. Anyway, I get to my house, and right when I get home at 4 in the morning, the phone rings. Phone's not supposed to be ringing at 4 in the morning. So I pick it up with my parents. You know, I waited for the light to go on. remember phones had lights. So when I saw the light went on, then I picked up to listen. And they're like, we believe your son's been in a major car accident. And, and I was like, uh-oh. And they're like, our son, he's in bed. And they're like, you better go check. So I run into my bed. Now what I didn't realize was in, during that crash, I'd hit my forehead on the dashboard <laughs> and there was blood all over my face. But from the whole shock of the event, I was, uh, I didn't realize there was blood all over me. So, so I lay down in my bed as quickly as possible. I'm still wearing my, I'm completely clothed. And I lay down in the bed and I'm pretending to sleep. The lights go on, my parents come in, you know, calling my name and I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. And they're like, you're covered in blood. And I'm like, what, she pulls the sheet off. I'm fully dressed in my shoes. Totally busted. Children. We're being held. We're, our lives are orchestrated around us. We're being totally taken care of all the time. I'll give you another example, not in my life, your life. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something really badly wanted something really badly but you put everything into it okay keep your hand up if you got it notice it's the same people how'd that happen how'd that happen it's just set up that way set up that way because there's a there's a f- you're cause you know what happens when a kid wants something really badly, and he starts begging his father I know I give it to him every time I just I just I'm his father like he I mean I don't give it to him immediately and I may make him earn it but in the end he's going to get it if he wants it bad enough and we're all the same in our lives without our fathers meaning meaning God's doing this God's making sure whatever you want you get even when it's bad for you a guy in class yesterday said I wanted something and I even prayed for it and it was bad for me and God gave it to me and how many of us how many of us were given things by our fathers that, we, that wasn't the best thing for us? But we wanted it. And so he gave it to us. And then it turned out to be detrimental for us. So the question is, who's going to hold us? Who's going to hold you? Who's going to hold you? Like, we all want to be held. Our parents are not interested anymore we're too old they want us to go get held by somebody else who's going to hold us now and you'll notice uh, those who get, who are married which is i don't think anyone but but you and your husband and me are you guys married no friends Please, God, everything should go smoothly. Amen. So, but marriage, you ever been married? Yes. yes. Marriage is a constant shoot yourself in the foot, <coughs> shoot yourself in the foot proposition. I mean, I know everyone here thinks marriage is going to be great, but if it's going to be so great, why are you thrashing your husband for coming home late? All it's going to do is make you more distance. And if you're waiting so much to get married, why do you men come home late? Because you know she'll get mad and then you can want love instead of have it because so many of us would rather want it than have it. Meaning we're all desperate to be held but as soon as someone finally says, okay, I'm ready to hold you, you sabotage. So this complicates matters because here we are desperately wanting to be held and yet when we finally have someone to hold us, we're going to come home late and we're going to you know, not do exactly what we said we were going to do and then we're going to like get them upset and then then it's all messed up and now we're happy in a way when it's messed up because now we can want it because wanting love for most people unfortunately is is better than having love wanting to be supported and safe is better than being supported and safe and so we sabotage our Life support system. <clears throat> do we do that with God too? Do we all, uh, anyone here find themselves spiritually sabotaging themselves sometimes? same type of thing it's kind of like accordion it's like an accordion where you yearn for closeness but you don't know how to deal with that so you sabotage it and then and then like mess it up and then you want it so you yearn for it and then you have it and then you sabotage it so it's like life's like an accordion like that You know, when you see a child being held by their parent, they look like they're in heaven. But don't they always jump out of their arms? and They go run and fall and get a bruise and like, start screaming and then the parents have to find them. And like, why did the kid jump out? Why why do we want to jump out of the arms? And get a boo-boo. And show me you love me because now I have a boo-boo. And how many kids get boo-boos because they have too many siblings? And the only way to get their parents' attention is to get that boo-boo so that somehow they're feeling supported, loved, safe, cared for. And so a boo-boo's the perfect idea. Like, why don't I do something really reckless, get hurt, and then my parents will, will love me. And then when it comes to God, I've met people who I'd call hooked on prayer. Hooked on prayer meaning they're like these Kotel people. They live at the Kotel kind of. And like, I mean, people are already tired of setting them up to get married. Let's say they're praying to get married. People are already tired of setting them up because they just prefer pray pray for it. And so the, here, God's like willing and willing and able, and here they're praying for, and then we set them up because hey, they seem sincere, like they really want to get married, and so they fool us, Jerusalemites, into setting them up, and then they go and sabotage the. Uh, Got you covered, bro. This uh, this class feeds a family every. Thursday for Shabbos, and the father of the family, who's who's been out of work, is uh, he comes and puts his face in the window until I go like that. For a couple weeks, I tried just going like that to him. It didn't work. He just kept his face in the window. So now I got to go like that. So anyway, but everyone have in mind. What? Um, what's that? You want to take a picture of me with my thumb up like that? Was that a good good snapper? Um, it's a nice lens. Can you grab a cup that just will roam the class so we can give this guy some, this family some money as the class goes? I only have 200s. I have big bills. Coins by drinks and bills by chicken. But I'm not giving him 200 <laughs> as much as I love the guy. No, no, just pass it around when it comes to me. Anyway, by the way, this is totally abnormal. It's just that I'm so out of the box that I'm like, I'm the only rabbi in the world that in this organization that fundraises for poor families in the middle of the class. Okay, sending it around. We normally never do this in the middle. I don't know what we're doing. Why are we doing this right now? There you go. Oops. Om, 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 Om. Okay, they're officially going to starve. Just go ahead, whoever put a 50 in there, you saved the day. <laughs> there's been many days, sometimes there's like 40 people in there, in here, and he winds up with like a thousand shekels for Shabbos, which is good is that a good or a bad thing that word like an accordion it's terrible terrible and you want to know something interesting they've done scientific research of aboriginal cultures and jungles you know like untouched the un, the people who have like almost not, never met western man and there were, there were sociologists who actually went into these jungle villages to see if they have this accordion thing the accordion thing was we, we get close to someone like, and then we like mess it up And then we get, uh, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then we mess it up. And it's like, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. It's, It's, you know, it's every rock song and it's lots of romantic movies. It's about that chase and everyone identifies with it. But you, you can only chase. You cannot have, you have to want not to have. And, and we do all kinds of crazy shenanigans in our relationships. Anyway, totally unnecessary totally unnecessary, because they found in aboriginal cultures, village cultures, that it didn't exist. It is something about westernism in modern society that there's all this thwarted love, love that didn't get fulfilled, and we get used to that being love. It's like we've, you know what it is? You've developed an identity that you're going to be alone. You know, you've developed this identity. And so now you're married, you, it's an identity crisis. So you, all you're doing is reinstating the identity, while married. I mean, you're going to reinstate the identity of alone in a marriage by just kind of going back and forth. Because we were so injured in our need for for that kind of love, and um, and there's very few people who are exempt for this, but but you what you want to say to your spouse all the time when you get married or when you think you have the right person is just keep, keep saying, "Here I am. just keep saying, "Here I am." just don't stop saying "Here I am to them. Here I am, I'm here, here I am, I'm here. he I'm here and just keep letting them know that and when they try to sabotage it and like make everything messed up just keep saying here I am here I am becomes your theme like your theme in your marriage is here I am can you imagine a man coming home late from work and his wife's like freaking out angry there's like smoke coming out of her ears and he's just like here I am And she's like, don't give me a here I am. Where were you? Here I am. Here it's a cool statement by the way, here I am. I am here, here I am. Yeah. Father can sometimes be, like, destructive, like, for example, people we who were saying, like, you know, book from prayer, I think sometimes, like, it comes from this, kind of, like, they have such a close, like, it's like, God says, like, father figure, like, some being that's, you know, outside of them, that they need, you know, need love, um, and, and they're so, like, caught up in needing it that, like, they can't just over like, Same... You're saying, can't we apply this to God? No, I'm saying it's... Like, Meaning this it's thing we're doing with God. spouses, we do to God. Yeah, but I think that it comes often from a misconception of God as a father. Ah, uh, because fathers weren't able to be there. Well, it's not even that like they're not there, but even if they perceiving that God is there for you, but, like, seeing God as a father figure... Mm. Instead of like everything being like this, this, of this image of God. Ah, uh, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about God beyond creation versus being em- eminent. God's like eminent father versus imminent in all things, connector, like within. That's God without and God within. It's like, it, 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 Uh, he's been in all of, he's part of all of this yeah. He's it's not uh-huh. yeah. I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I emphasize that that aspect of God, the what's called the elokus. It's the second word of God. You know you say Baruch Hata Hashem. Hashem's outside, beyond, eminent. Elocus, elokenu is imminent how God's in. I emphasize that a lot, but I wonder if I wonder if I overemphasize it because of my own issues with uh, being held by this father who's separate and big and like you know this caretaker. Like I'd rather believe that that he's in this water than taking care of me. So I've like overemphasized in my work God imminent Because eminent, mm, don't know if I'm really being cared for here. So uh, it's an inquiry that needs addressing for all of us. I think is is God as caretaker because it's really cool the Kabbalistic thing. Like he's in the water. Like we're we're together. Like now he's in me. Right, (laughs) he was in me anyway. So, but that. I'm being cared for. Anyway, but I do want to just... We're going to end now, but I just want to give one solid argument for God, yes, being the caretaker for our lives and, like, really getting that, is is that it makes... (laughs) Does anyone like a needy person? Anyone like a needy person? No one likes needy people. People don't... I mean, there are weird people, like, moisture back. Just kidding. He raised his hand, but n- no one likes needy people. And they drag you down. They're gonna. They're like vampires. They're gonna, you know, take everything, every last bit of energy you've got. And th- you know, I know a lot of very wealthy people who only give to institutions because you don't have to meet the needy. You know what I mean? They only give to the. You know, it's the we gave at the office thing. You know, we we, we don't just. You can ring our bell, uh, but you can't come in. You know, so. We don't like needy people very much. And if God's fulfilling your needs and you truly see him as orchestrating and providing, you're no longer needy. And you're so much easier to give to. You get that? That was the last statement I want to say. Is that it's such a pleasure to be in a relationship with someone who's not that needy. And it's a pleasure to give tzedakah to someone who's not that needy because they're already covered. They feel covered, they feel supported, they feel God's with them. And so now they're not coming as like, with this like endless need that's gonna like drain me, but rather it's my pleasure to give to someone who's anyway pretty supported. They just need a little extra hug or they need a little extra money or they need a little extra time. That's my pleasure. But someone who's just gonna drag me down because I'm somehow their savior. Is n- I'm I'm not. I thank God or thank God for caller ID, because you know that's going to be the last number I'm picking up. And that was my last statement. Listen, I want to bless everyone with a beautiful Shabbos. Also, um, we're having a special like half-hour TED Talk style uh, evening class here that's going to go from midnight till four. I think. 4:30. What four thirty? Midnight to 4:30 in this lobby. There will probably be hundreds of people. There usually are on Saturday night. It goes from midnight till 4:30 in the morning, and it's some of the really great dynamic speakers of Israel and Jerusalem, and, and including Asher speakers. And it will—it's uh, it, coming. This is coming to a theater near you here at Asher starting at midnight. I'm on at 1:15. I'm walking twice as long as I'm speaking. Shalom, everyone. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.